I have always said that racism is a bizarre and dystopian struggle. By the time racial discrimination in U.S. schools was overturned in 1954, there was a public fervor, a backlash, over what desegregating public schools would mean to society overall, and especially in the South. Some people said that desegregating schools in support of black children would be tantamount to the end of civilization. They said that desegregation would promote miscegenation, that white girls would be raped and seduced by black males, and that black girls would corrupt the decent sensibilities of white males, and that black music and culture would permeate white society and then put an end to it. And most of all, that black people would not know their place if the nation's schools were integrated. Disregarding the base racial stereotypes, this is the main point to keep in mind. Those who vehemently objected to desegregation were only beginning to shift their language from racial stereotypes and cultural debasement to the real point, the maintenance of white racial hierarchy. This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. The Supreme Court's Brown v. Board of Education case ruled in 1954 that this country could not racially segregate schools. And it was a long uphill battle to get to that ruling. And it occurred through the tireless work of countless people, people who literally bled, fought, and died. The unanimous decision of the nation's high court was a blow to white supremacists, those who supported structural racism in education and in all walks of life had no intention of following the law of the land. Many whites immediately created and enrolled their children in private schools, expressly designed to exclude blacks. And in 1956, Southern politicians immediately took leadership and advanced the document known as the Southern Manifesto. Now the original, the, the name of course, the actual name is the Declaration of Constitutional Principles. The manifesto railed against the Brown decision. It stated that it violated states' rights and suggested that the United States Supreme Court had abused its power. The battle for human rights and racial justice was never over or won. Each generation, before and since, has had to make a decision about how to engage in this protracted struggle to fully understand what it entails. The Brown v. Board decision was a skirmish in a much larger war. So this episode briefly explores hashtag when racists mislabel things, the myths surrounding critical race theory. 
So as you know, the larger war I'm talking about is the contest over racism and white supremacy. And I'm reminded of the work of Dr. Mary Frances Berry, who documented this persistent struggle in many of her books, including Black Resistance, White Law, A History of Constitutional Racism in America. Her work clearly detailed the history of how the U.S. government, politicians, exploited the Constitution to uphold racial discrimination. In this epic war, there are countless major and minor battles and any number of extraordinary events that define this theater of combat. There are only two main organized forces, the people who want to advance and develop racism so that they can maintain absolute power and dominance, and people who are trying to stop this from happening. Now, this is the basic idea. And we know some don't want to hear it. We always believe that there are gray areas. And every time we discuss racism, a vigilant cadre claims that they are not racist. And this is because they're afraid. They struggle with the complexity of racism, don't understand racism at all, or simply choose to believe that racism does not exist. The public uproar of late over the concept of critical race theory, particularly as it relates to the public schools, is being championed largely by neoconservative politicians. It is ominous with echoes of the Jim Crow past and gives us an omen of an utterly authoritarian future. At this point, if we believe the hyperbole about critical race theory, we would think that the first massive wave of invading theorists had breached the castle walls. But still, those who have exaggerated and condemned critical race theory are more akin to the earliest colonizers landing on the shores of a foreign, far-off island. Think about it. They immediately declare the island discovered, proceed to interpret its existence, pillage the land's natural resources, exploit and ravage the people, and then, finally, destroy it all. At this point, a disturbing mythology is being created about critical race theory, along with swift solutions for its demise. Because of the creatively deceptive myths being aggressively circulated about critical race theory, we are compelled to cite that which is not true. Critical race theory is not an effort to take over the United States school system. No such thing exists. We should not have to say more. However, the absurdity of the times of this kind of language used to create fear and panic should say it all. Critical race theory is not an ideology predicated on a belief system. And it is not a communist or socialist plot. Critical race theory is an intellectual construct that is not rooted in personal religious faith. Critical race theory is not anti-white people. This theory is not against humanity or people who classify or see themselves as white or ethnic European. 
However, critical race theory as a humanistic construct is anti-white supremacy and against racial hege hegemony, oppression, and domination of any kind. Critical race theory is not a course or a series of courses being taught in American primary and secondary schools. We should not even have to explain this. A 10th grader in the U.S. is likely to have a course schedule that includes, for example, um, biology, uh, government and economics, algebra, English, and history, but not critical race theory. Critical race theory is not part of the educational curriculum in K through 16 schools. To reiterate, there are no courses called critical race theory in the schools, period. The sensational headlines would have us believe that students, particularly white students, are at this very moment being forced to take critical race theory courses. This is not true. Critics of critical race theory rarely mention that courses, seminars, and clinics are occasionally found on the graduate level, but usually at law schools. And even then, these courses are offered by only a few faculty members to upper-level students as electives. So there is no uniform or mandatory standard curriculum for critical race theory in U.S. law schools. And so I was thinking about some of the courses that I've seen on critical race theory and some of the catalogs of schools. And I did survey uh, 10 schools and they were largely Ivy League schools in the United States. But I came across one that was interesting. Uh, it was about a critical race theory course that is scheduled to be taught at an Ivy League school next year. And uh, just to tell you what this seminar is about, or just to tell you what it says, is that uh, this particular course is going to look at law and legal activism in the United States. Uh, students are going to be able to examine how laws and legal institutions shape racial identity. Uh, the course is going to review uh, how these ideas about race uh, have shaped legal institutions and students will be able to uh, ask the question why does racial inequality persist even though we have uh, social movements and we have progressive legal transformations and so this is just one course that is going to be offered next year but of course it's safe to say that primary and secondary school students are not being indoctrinated with critical race theory. But this is the kind of erroneous and inflammatory language being used to talk about and to discredit critical race theory. Okay, but, but even more to the point, most people don't know what critical race theory is. You really would not know unless you were in higher education and of course, if you're an inquiring academic or independent scholar, or if you were, of course, a law professor who offers expertise in critical race theory as a distinct course or as a subject within another course. For example, 
if you all, if you discussed critical race theory as a specific module or a specific uh, uh, framework in a specialized course on feminist or civil rights law. Among many of those discussing critical race theory now, they reveal that they really don't know what it is. Yet, they have taken this idea, like Nicole Hannah-Jones's 1619 Project, invented an alternate meaning, and then criticized that understanding. Now we have a genuine straw man operation, the intentional misrepresentation of an idea in order to slander and censure the real target. They have reconfigured critical race theory language in such a way as to deliberately um, mislabel, mislead, and frighten people. And this is consistent with the current neoconservative political discourse and the efforts to legislate critical race theory in the United States. So, keeping the course description just mentioned in mind, briefly, what is critical race theory? Essentially, critical race theory is a highly cultivated intellectual concept. Founded originally in the philosophy of law, it is scholarly work that emphasizes or, or analyzes justice and equity through formal frameworks and discourses grounded in race and power. Critical race theory scholars explore historical, structural, and systemic racism as mechanisms for uncovering how society functions at any given point in time. Critical race theorists ask evolved legal questions about injustice, and they formally challenge assumptions about propositions like merit and colorblindness in society. Theorists directly analyze legal cases, precedents, and principles to reveal how race shapes jurisprudence and vice versa. In addition, scholars in education, sociology, and many other disciplines have developed critical race frameworks. Now, scholars associated with the founding and advancing of critical race theory include Derek Bell, Gloria Ladson Billings, William Tate, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, Cheryl Harris, and Patricia Williams. So I would suggest to begin a study of this subject uh, that you read the work Critical Race Theory the key writings that form the movement. And this is a book edited by Kimberly Crenshaw, Neil Gotanda, Gary Peller, and Kendall Thomas. So what is currently being challenged, debated, and even legislated is not the existence or impact of critical race theory. What is being opposed to reiterate the finer point, is any pedagogy, discussion, analysis, or critique of racism. This includes theories and discourses of white supremacy, justice, civil disobedience, civil rights, ethical and moral philosophy, imperialism, 
colonialism and post-colonialism, race relations, and more. Now, more importantly, it is the actual ability to effectively critique historical, structural, and systemic racism. Okay, but this is a this is a part of a larger neoconservative authoritarian political platform. And it includes several things that seem disparate, but they're actually related. And they include the fabricated public debate over unproven voter fraud while actively working to legally enshrine voter suppression and disenfranchisement. This platform also includes the effort to selectively legalize marijuana for corporate profit. I'm talking about the commodification of a burgeoning cannabis industry, which comes at a time when people are still being held under criminal statutes for marijuana possession. This includes minimizing the importance of the January 6, 2021 insurrection, including the recent GOP filibuster to derail the establishment of an official commission to investigate the violent and deadly mob attack on the U.S. Capitol. And this includes the failure of GOP lawmakers to help pass comprehensive gun safety legislation in the face of widespread serial gun violence. This also includes the advancement of disturbing conspiratorial organizations embodied uh, in groups like QAnon, who believe in, among other things, a Rothschild Illuminati scheme for global dominance, the deification of the former president of the United States, a Democratic Party or other vague cabal also vying for world power, and now, and some of these cult members also support anti-vaxxing during a pandemic, restrictive voting laws, and overturning legitimate elections. This neoconservative authoritarian platform also involves the control of women's bodies through heightened reproductive health legislation. In the neoconservative agenda, women are being treated like human incubators with no human rights, and this effort embraces criminalizing miscarriage. Popular culture references to handmaids, and you know, I'm referring to Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaid's Tale, which has spawned films and, and a current series. This is no longer in the realm of science fiction. The current legislative path signals that in an authoritarian state, women ultimately will have no control over their own reproduction or who, meaning male, who has access to their body. And finally, and certainly not the least, there is the effort to criminalize any peaceful protest especially Black Lives Matter protests over the death of Black and other people of color and questionable police encounters. And so we're seeing that future legislation is on the horizon, which will also target and attempt to prohibit citizen and police body-worn camera videos, which 
as we have seen more often than not reveal police brutality and misconduct. As I said, racism is bizarre and dystopian, especially when society experiences authoritarian creep. Racists live in anti-intellectual spaces for a reason, largely to keep the world as small and as controllable as possible. In this country, there is no collective shame for the descent into the depths of ignorance. And as some states enact sweeping bans on critical race theory, the true record must be constantly re recounted. Like the Southern Manifesto strategists, Republican governments have introduced and advanced a number of legislative actions that actually prohibit teaching critical race theory. They have used critical race theory to halt teaching and learning initiatives, specifically instruction that involves racism, anti-racism, racial discrimination, social justice, or the history of racial terrorism and the oppression of non-white people. This is part of the larger neoconservative agenda, seeking to usher in a racist, authoritarian, populist state. This is where white privilege and racial resentment are used to fuel anti-democratic forms of nationalism and patriotism. The discussion about critical race theory is not a relevant or even credible debate. It is an attack on the history of anti-racism scholarship and activism. Like the groundwork that led up to Brown v. Board of Education ruling. This was never about critical race theory. This was always about challenging interpretations of historical, structural, and systemic racism. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is critical at this moment in the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality. We need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, please continue to download and like and share and support us. And I always encourage you to use your media platform to honestly analyze, examine, come up with solutions to put an end to racism. If you are listening to this podcast series, then you know, discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope that you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism. <laughs>